On. Am I on now? There I am. I thought I was off. <laughs> off a little? I kept pushing the button but going the wrong way. So anyhow, back on, uh, back on topic. Uh, <laughs> so how do you build a temple? How do you build your house? Well, we call Bob the Builder. <laughs> Bob the Builder? Okay. So anyhow, we build our temple, we build our house uh, by using designs. We build, in this case, Paul uses the blueprint of an architect drawing blueprints. Um, We then look at, if we were doing it, we'd hire a contractor, we would oversee the project, then the work would begin and the process of construction would be there. So we have all this going on if if we were building a house or building a structure. Um, You wouldn't hire me. I would be the worker, but not the designer. Um, I would, you know, I, I don't draw things very well. Well, I did. I, I drew a couple of things in, uh, in design class, but that w- they never built them. But, uh, so, you know, if we were building a new church, I would want to know how we were going to pay for it and how big I would like it, you know. Uh, so we, we do those types of things. But Paul, in writing to the church at Corinth, he encounters a problem with the church contractors. And the contractors that he is talking about is he's using building a building as an illustration as building themselves individually. And they were, and what he's telling them is when you are building yourself, some of you are trying to build on the wrong foundation. So um, if you were building a house, and you put the foundation in, and then they, they delivered the structure that they were going to put on there, and it wouldn't fit. Because you're trying to put the wrong house on the wrong foundation. Paul is telling the church at Corinth that that's what they're doing. And um, in verses 1 through 4, he says, But for right now, friends, I'm completely frustrated with you. That's what he tells the church at Corinth, these people. I'm completely frustrated by your unspiritual dealings with each other and with God. You're not doing this well. You're not dealing with each other right. You see, in this living house, this living structure that we are a part of, we, we understand what our, where our spiritual process is by how we relate to others. And, and, and the foundation, of course, Paul says, is Jesus Christ. He says, you're acting like infants in, relation, excuse me, in relationship to Christ, capable of doing nothing more than nursing at the breast. Well then, I'll nurse you since you don't seem capable of anything more. He's kind of slamming them, isn't he? <laughs> yeah? Because these individuals are thinking they are so spiritual and they're so good in their, in their spiritual growth. And Paul says, you're, nothing, you're, you're no better than infants, um, you know, at, you know, nursing at your mother's breast. And as long as you grab for what makes you feel good and makes you look important, are you really much different than a babe at the breast content only with everything going on, going your way? One of you says, I'm on Paul's side, and another says, I'm for Apollos. Aren't you being totally infantile? So he's talking about how that people look at themselves how that they put things in perspective, and how that they are trying to build themselves, but not built upon the spiritual principles or the spiritual gifts that God has given them. And what he's telling them is, they're arguing over who they are following. One group says, well, I'm following Paul's teaching. 
Uh, and then another says, no, I'm, we're following Apollos' teaching. And then there was even a third group that says, well, you know, since Paul got upset with them, they were in another group that says, well, we're of Jesus Christ. <laughs> they feel we're right. And, and what happened was they were dividing themselves up and telling each other, well, if you really were spiritual, you would believe the way I, th- well, the way I think and follow Jesus, his teachings and Paul's teachings and Apollos' teachings. But what they were doing was they were using it as a, as a place of division rather than as a place of coming together. And verse 5 says, Paul and Apollos are servants, Paul's telling them. We are servants who wait on you until you entrust yourself to our mutual master, Jesus Christ. So we are here serving you because of what, who Jesus Christ is and what he has done for you. He says, I plant the seed, Apollos waters, but God made you grow. And this is the, this, as we look at our spiritual understanding, it doesn't come from a particular denomination. It doesn't come from a particular pastor or priest or evangelist or teacher. What we know about God, God is teaching us. Okay? See, in the lesson this morning, in our, in our Sunday school lesson, Nehemiah was, uh, had built the walls in Jerusalem and, every, and, he, and, and everyone came together in the center square and Ezra the prophet began to read the scriptures. And when Ezra the prophet began to read the, the book of the law, the book of Moses, the book of Deuteronomy, uh, the people became so overwhelmed with what he was reading they, they, became, they were mournful and they were then, and, uh, about their sins and how, how far away they had gone from God. And they were, they were, um, <laughs> they had fallen on their face. They were regretful for their life. But in the same token, the, it was the word of God presented to them and they felt this quickening inside of them that their life was really important to God and how that they had come to fulfill the promises that had been given to them in the book of uh, what they had been reading about, Abraham coming to, you know, leaving Ur of the Chaldees and coming to a promised land, how that the, um, you know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, how they'd gone into the the, um, Egypt, how that God had delivered them from them, and now he had rebuilt the city. And they saw and they felt how God had, kind of pulled all of their life together, brought them back from uh, exile in Babylon, and now they had rebuilt the city of Jerusalem. And what a wonderful experience they had had uh, as they were reading through the scriptures, as they read through the word of God. It began to take on a personal understanding to them that they they were part of something that was bigger than just them. They were part of something, they were part of a plan that God had from the very beginning right up into their life, and we see how that uh, as Ezra and Nehemiah, as they took the genealogies and where these people had come from, these are the genealogies that we would read in Matthew about Jesus Christ being traced back through the genealogies to David and how that he would be traced back even to Abraham and to Adam. And so we find that these genealogies were so important and that they were part of something that was bigger than themselves. Now we are the body of Christ. We are part of the body of Christ. 
and we are a building that Jesus inhabits, that the, the scriptures inhabit, the, the, what we read here, and how that God comes into our life and helps us to understand a perspective of who we are. That it's more than just me being here doing my life, doing my thing, and when I'm all done, I'm dead, and, you know, you know dust to dust and ashes to ashes, and, you know, I'm gone. It's more than that. And it's more than what I can get out of life. It's what I can, well, I find that I'm part of a purpose and part of a mission that God has for us to fulfill. And each of us are part of that body of Christ. And, and so we could, we could divide it up and say, well, I'm of the right side of the church. Well, yeah, well, I'm of the middle of the church. <laughs> and of course, this group over here, we'd say we're from the left of the church. But of course, if you were this way, it would be about What's going on? We are finding a way to bring division rather than a way to serve together. And when they were saying, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, oh, I'm of Jesus, they were using it as a way of contention as one being better than the other. They didn't see themselves as part of the body of Christ. And Paul's telling them that they are, there's one foundation, and that one foundation is Jesus Christ. And you have to build on that foundation or your structure is nothing. Jesus uh, in the scriptures talks about how that he is the rock. That if we build our life upon the rock, we are safe. If you build your life on the sand, you know, build your house on the sand, you know, always using these analogies of building and, 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 and contractors and stuff. He's using the analogy that if you build your house on the sand and a storm comes, what happens? Do you ever stand at the ocean and stand in the sand and the waves come in and go out and waves come in and go out? What happens? You sink. <laughs> I didn't move, but the sand did. Why? Because the water washes it out. Washes it out, takes it out from underneath you. And the same thing happens in our life whenever we try to build our lives on something that is not eternal. If we try to build our lives on something that is not eternal we end up sinking, not having a purpose. And we become very frustrated with life and there's no direction to it. But whenever we have Christ as our Savior, the Christ is in our heart, he becomes the foundation of our life, then we have structure. It's not, it's not about guilt and, and you know, not being good enough and you're a sinful person and you're all going to hell. No, we're, we're, we are righteous people and we're on our way to heaven and we have a relationship with Jesus Christ and he brings his word into our life and it changes us and we now are building something that is greater than ourselves and that there will be an eternal reward for it. Amen, thank you. All right, so <laughs> we find that we are part of something that is more than us. It's more than just establishing our own little kingdom. It's about doing the will of God and the purpose of God. And that in our relational experience, there are some things that are just, that we just can't overlook. When God gives us principles to live by, they are principles upon which we build our life. And those principles then will support the structure of who we are. Okay. Whenever we build a life uh, that is outside of the uh, of the scriptural guidelines, 
You know, and the Bible says, okay, we'll just use forgiveness for, for an, as, an, as, a, as an idea. Forgiveness is not an option. We must forgive. The Bible tells us, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. In other words, God, forgive me as I forgive others. So how many, and I don't have to raise your hand on this, okay, how many of us would not be forgiven? Because there are people in our lives that deserve not to be forgiven. <laughs> because of what they've done, how they've done it, and all those kinds of things. You see, when Jesus is hanging on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He's telling us that they're not taking my life, I'm giving it. Okay? When I forgive people, those people are not determining where I'm going with my life. I am. That's why forgiveness is not an option. I'm not going to go back to that pain, that situation, those things. I have a different direction in my life. And the, the direction I have in my life is one that is based upon the foundation of Jesus Christ forgiving me of my sins and I forgive others. So that foundation then is, is, is a principle that as I, then we have what? Peace? Joy? We talked about that in, uh, in, the, in the scriptures this morning. Nehemiah says the joy of the Lord is our strength. Here, is, here are these people who had never heard the scriptures and Ezra stands up and reads it to them. And he talks to them about it, and the joy of God becomes their strength. The joy of hearing the word of God and what God has done for them becomes an underlying joy. Joy is not happiness. Happiness depends upon happenings. Joy is that which is part of who we are in our, in our heart and in our life. And, and, that we're, we want, and again, it's something that God gives to us, not something that we acquire. You know, we can be happy that we've bought some things and, or owned some things and happy about this and, you know, things go up, you know, whatever. We, whatever, breaks you, whatever makes you happy, you know? There are things, okay? Well, joy doesn't go away. Joy is that which is in our heart and our life because we have principles, we have a foundation that our life is built on. So you see, the foundation of our life is built upon scriptural principles. Now... How many here are perfect? See? We're not. We're not going to... So God isn't looking for perfection. God isn't looking that we be perfect because we are in the process uh, of growing and becoming. It's like a child learning to walk. child learning to walk is going to fall down. You don't beat the kid because he can't walk. <laughs> right? If you did, don't tell me because I have to turn you in. You know, just, you know, I beat my kid every time he falls down, you know. I'll teach him to walk. <laughs> How foolish. Well, why do we beat ourselves whenever we fall down in our uh, learning how to, you know, growing in our relationship with Christ? Paul says the things I want to do, I don't do. Paul had a problem, you know, not being what... The, 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 foundation, the, the foundation experience he had in Christ, he had, he had problems with. He doesn't tell us what those problems are, but he had problems. He had his thorn in the flesh. He had other things that he, that he struggled with. And there isn't anyone who doesn't have things they struggle with. Welcome to humanity. <laughs> Jesus, on the very, and, you know, Jesus in the garden, he's saying, Father, if there's another way, 
let this cup pass from me. It's like, I don't want to go this way. I don't want to go to the cross because I know what's going to happen when I get there. It's going to be painful. And there's going to be separation. The painful experience, you know, as we are in this approaching Easter and Holy Week and, and you know, next week, it's a time of self-reflection that this Easter, um, what's this called? Pardon? Lent. Yeah, this Lenten season. You know, in and, and some, and some faiths, they want you, you know, they talk about giving something up. You know, I know people, they gave up chocolate. They gave up, thing. I gave up skydiving. Um. <laughs> I don't, I don't sky, I won't skydive during Lent. Um, but, but the idea is that if we, it's like something, we're giving up something in order to prove something, you know, prove, prove something. Well, I look at it, we should take something on. We should take something on, like praying more, reading the Bible more, being more self-reflective as in how that, you know, that, how that God is in my life and, and, and just spending maybe five minutes more or five minutes just t- thinking about one scripture. I was thinking of um, in this next week, we should read John, John 21, okay? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and 21 years of age. You can vote, right? In 21, voting age. Anyhow, 21, uh, voting age. So John 21 begins the time to the end for the crucifixion and, and the time of Christ. So as you look at this, you want, to, you want to read it. Read it through. If you read it through in one setting and then come back and the next day, read it again. Read a part, read a section, or read a verse or two. And begin to think about this. And it's a self-reflective time, time for us. So we're looking at how that God is building us on the structure of who he is. And we are a building, okay? We're in a process of being built. We're not complete yet, okay? We're not complete. This is a, this is a building program that takes a lifetime. <laughs> how, many of our, how many are still living? Okay, I was just making sure. All right, okay, you're still alive. All right, so you're in a process of still becoming, <laughs> You're in a process of building and being built. And, and it talks about don't use bad material. What was a, in the school they talk about cheap fuel? What's cheap fuel? Negative. Remember, what's cheap fuel? I can't remember. Cheap fuel. Anybody remember? Cheap fuel is whenever you, 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 you tear other people down in order for you to think you're better. Look how bad they are. Look at, you know, we're condemning. It's cheap fuel. Negative, negative, uh, negative thoughts and negative um, ideas towards other people, it's cheap fuel. It, you know, it doesn't work. It burns up, consumes, but doesn't take you anywhere. So we're not a people of cheap fuel. We're people of, of righteousness and of joy and of peace and of long-suffering. You know, these are parts of, this is part of the character of God, and that character becomes part of us. And Jesus Christ becomes part of who we are. Why? Because he is dwelling inside of the building we are building. That's what Paul's saying here to the the Corinthians. Um, Verse 9, or to put it another way, you are God's house. You are God's house. So what does God's house look like? It looks like you. It looks like you, because you are God's house being built. 
You know, you're not finished yet. Yeah, you're not finished yet. You know, you know um, one, one in the, years ago in the church, you, ladies were not allowed to wear makeup. Okay? Some of you may, never not, may not know that. But there was a, there was a, there was a long time ago in, when I was growing up in church, um, when I was a kid, women were not allowed to wear open-toed shoes. Men had to always have a, a collar and a tie. When I went to school, Bible school, you had to wear a tie every day. Uh, ladies had to wear dresses. They were never allowed to wear pants. Okay? They had to wear long sleeve dresses and cuffs. And they had the, lo- the hem, hem line had to be below the knees. And they, um, not a lot, they could wear makeup, but very minimal. Um, there was a saying back then, says, you know, one of the preachers would say, well, you know about women wearing makeup. If the barn needs painted, paint it. So... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's what, there, was a, there was a kind of a slam. Uh, but uh, <laughs> there had, they had a lot of rules, you know? You know, women were not allowed to get their hair cut. No, they had to wear it in a bun. Those buns, back of the head. There's some denominations, you see them, they still wear the, the clothes like that. And it's because it's part of their tradition. And when, when I was growing up, that was kind of part of our tradition. You weren't allowed to wear, weren't allowed, and women were not allowed to get their hair cut. And, you know, uh, I was in, when I was in college in the 60s and things, we were not al- allowed to wear sandals. I mean, I mean, it's really, we weren't allowed to wear sandals. And, and one guy said, uh, what's that? Earrings. Oh, you weren't allowed to have pierced earrings? You know, pierced ears? And uh, my, when Rhonda, the preacher's wife, went and got her ears pierced uh, with another preacher's wife, and they came home, and the, and the, and the preacher, the other, my friend, and he comes in, and they both comes in with their ears pierced. I mean, he was appalled. He says, don't you know what the Bible says? And it's like, there is, what do I do now? And the Bible says, he says, do not defraud thine earlobes. <laughs> he was teasing, it's not in the Bible. <laughs> he was telling, yeah, thou shalt not defraud thine earlobes. <laughs> and it's like, they were like, oh my gosh, I was sinned against God. And he started laughing. You know, but, you know, there was a lot of all these types of rules and regulations. Why? Because people were trying to build a structure of their life that they thought should be on the, on, you know, Jesus Christ as a foundation, but they were trying to fashion the structure that this is how, this is what a Christian looks like. Okay? This is what a Christian looks like. A Christian must look like this. You know, tie. Hair, no long hair. My gosh, in the 60s, and the Beatles and all that came with the long hair. We were not allowed to have hair that touched our collar. You had to have it cut. I mean, there was lots of rules. Why? Because there was a picture that a Christian was supposed to look like. And you could tell a Christian by what they looked like. David, whenever he was in school, um, there were some people, you know, out in out of Missouri. There were some people who, you know, David was kind of a nonconformist, conformist, but mostly nonconformist. Uh, he he was, he, you know, when they said you couldn't grow your hair long, you know, his was down to his collar, and he couldn't have a beard. He had a beard, you know, and you know, he was just—I don't know—he must have got it from his mother, but. Uh, <laughs> 
But, you know, he, he was just kind of this nonconformist type person, and, but he, he wouldn't go out and do the things, you know. And one of the teachers, professors, says, why don't you get your life, he told David this, why don't you get your life cleaned up like so-and-so? Look at them. They're a Christian. And David, he, he called me up, he was mad. He says, Dad, <laughs> that guy called me out in class, you know, and told me I wasn't a Christian. He doesn't know what they do at night. He doesn't know where they go. They look the part, but in their heart they weren't. And you see, that's what Paul is telling here, that you are the building of Jesus Christ. You are a building. And just because you look the part doesn't mean your heart is changed. And that's why as we look at our own hearts and we look at what God is doing, he is building us from the inside out. He's building us from our heart and our minds, and our perception of life. Yeah, we can dress a certain way, but it's more that it's what's in your heart that counts. It's what's in our heart that makes us. And Paul is saying he was using the gift, he has the blueprint that God gave him as a good architect. Paul is saying, I have a blueprint. Paul, Apollos, he's kind of doing some finish work. You know, he's building, you know, putting up the drywall and uh, studs and all that other painting and stuff. But, uh, you know, there's a blueprint to all this. But it is the word of God that is alive in your heart and alive inside of you that changes you. There is only one foundation, and that foundation is Jesus Christ. There's only one foundation. You know, this, this I deal with lots of people. <laughs> You know, in, in hospice, most, most of them are, you know, patients that are terminally ill. And one, one individual this week um, was uh, very sorrowful for their life. And they wanted to, they said, you know, the one thing I want to do is relive my life. And I kind of smiled. I said, well, what is it that you would like to redo? And, you know, they went through some things and things like that. But you know what? It doesn't matter what we've done. It's where we're at. Where you're at right now. And how that God has forgiven you now. And how that God is at work in your life now. Whether you're 105 or whether you're 5, it's where you're at now. And how that Christ is in your life now to change you from this point forward. We can't change yesterday. If you want to create good memories, start today. If you want to create a life worth living, start today. And start changing from today forward. Not on our own, but with the help of God. Because when we all stand before God, that we're, there's going to be a day we all get there, but it's only what we've done for Christ is going to make the difference. And that's the foundation that we are building on now. And it isn't an impossible foundation. It isn't, an, excuse me, it isn't an impossible structure. If it were impossible, none of us could do it. But each of us have a life to live, and God has a plan for each of our lives, and he's given each of us talents and abilities that are part of who we are. And the scripture comes to unleash those things that, that are hidden in there, to uh, unveil the, the, the potential that's inside of us. And, and to bring us to a point where God wants us to, 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 you know, to live our life for him. Verse 10 says, take particular care in picking out your building materials. 
Take a lot of care in building and what materials you use. No cheap fuel. No cheap materials. Um, what are we using to build our lives? You know, what are we using to build who we are as a person? There's a lot of self-help books. And there's a lot of uh, things out there for self-improvement. And they're good. But the Bible is not a self-help book. The Bible is a God-help-me book. <laughs> and the principles that God wants to build inside of us are principles of being at peace with ourselves and with God. Uh, being uh, open to opportunities that are before us. It's not about guilt and manipulation. It's not about putting people down. It's about building them up. It's about encouraging and being part of a program uh, of, of that, some, that there's, a, there's a plan for our life that is bigger than we could ever imagine. That God has a, has a plan for us that is greater than we could ever imagine. And that God wants to take us as we are being built to take us down that road and as it were to, to, the, to the destiny that God has for us. But it's built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. So take particular attention to the building materials we use. And the text says eventually there's going to be an inspection. If you use cheap or inferior material, you're going to be found out. You see, there's this story. story of a wealthy, uh, wealthy individual. And he has this builder that he uses all the time. And, uh, used, you know, the builder was, worked with this wealthy man for years, and, you know, the wealthy man had, you know, made very good investments and built things and had whatever, and this builder was one that, that, that he helped out and worked with him for forever, okay? So the builder's going away, uh, this, the wealthy individual's going away, and he contacts the builder and says, I want you to build me a house, and uh, this is what I want it to look like, and I don't want you to spare any cost, any expense, just put the best materials, the, you know, put all these extras into it, you know, make it uh, you know, a house that, that's second to none. So the, the wealthy individual goes away and turns it over to his contractor and to his builder, and, and the builder starts. Well, the builder's kind of got some greed in there and some envy, and you know, here he is building this house, another place for this, this man that, that's made billions of dollars off of him and, and his work, and he's kind of, well, you know... <laughs> I'm not going to put this in, I'm not going to put that in, he'll never know, and he's cutting corners, and he's not using everything that he should be using, and it looks, as, it looks just like what he wants, but it's inside the guy's, you know, kind of cutting the corners. And, um, and he wasn't supposed to be cutting any corners. And he didn't care about the cost, and the guy's, you know, kind of sticking it to him, you know. So after the house is finished... The wealthy individual comes back and, and they get to tour through the house. And as they go through the house and looking at it, and the builders, at, you know, the wealthy individuals asking about the house and the materials, and, and they're going through the whole route of things and how, how beautiful it is, how elegant it is, and, you know, and all these types of things. But inside, the guy's thinking, I got him this time. You know? And then when they're all done with the tour, the wealthy man turns to him and says, You're the best thing that's ever happened to me. This house is yours.
<laughs> you knew that was coming, didn't you? You see, our life is a gift to us. Our life to us. It's built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Our life is a gift to us. God has given us the gift of life. And he's given us the potential of life. He's given us the materials that we need to build this house, this person, the way we think, the way we think about ourselves, the way we think about others, the way we think, the way we act. You see, it isn't based upon making you look like me, bald and beautiful. <laughs> Amen, thank you. <laughs> it isn't building, you know, putting a bun in your hair and no open-toed shoes and, you know, tie on. And it isn't that. It's about building from the inside. It's not pretending to be something. It is being someone. Being someone who is working with God not for God. And God is working with us, not for us. And as we walk with him and he walks with us and he reveals his word to us, it changes us from the inside out. We have a hope that when this life, and in this life, God is working in me and God is working through me and what I am doing is making a difference for eternity. Verse 16 and 17. You realize, don't you, that you are the temple of God and God himself is present in you. You realize, don't you, that you are the temple of God and God himself is present in you. No one will get by with vandalizing God's temple. This temple. There are people who vandalize their own temple. They're destroying it. All the time we hear of different ways to destroy the temple. Drugs and alcohol and abuse and things, anything you want. I mean, you can destroy it any way you want. But no one's going to get away with vandalizing God's temple because it's going to catch up to you. And it's a gift that God has given you, so don't, it is a sacred place. And what makes it sacred? Not that it's mine, but that it's God's. It's God's temple that he comes to dwell within, and he won't come there unless we ask him. God does not invade the temple. God knocks at the door. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. That God is knocking at our life's door and says, I would like to come in and be with you, partner with you in this endeavor of life. But it's your choice. We choose. And then verse uh, 1 Corinthians 3, 14 and 15. You have that up there? If any man's work abide, which he hath built, therefore he shall receive a reward. Next. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved. What it means is that when life is over, and this individual, this will be weak, and, and it comes every week, to talk to individuals. Um, they bring, it's like life's coming to an end. And at the end of our life, we're going to stand before God. And everything we've ever done with our life is going to be there. Every thought, every word, every action, everything we've ever done is going to be there. 
Okay, and we're gonna we're gonna come before God, and it's like this. And I kind of liken to a going through a little tunnel, you know, going through a little tunnel, and you bring everything with you, and you're dragging it through you, and you get inside the tunnel, and all this fire breaks out, <laughs> and the fire just burns everything—not you, but it burns you, everything around you. And the only thing that makes it through the tunnel are the things that we've done for Christ. Because that's the only thing that's going to last forever. You and what we've done for God. Now, what we've done for God isn't like being a preacher or an evangelist or a missionary. The Bible says if you give a cup of cold water in his name, there's a reward for you. You see, being the temple of God is that you have prayed for someone. You've helped someone. You've encouraged someone. Not with strings attached, but with an openness from your heart. Because it's what God would do if he were there. So you're an encourager. You're wise enough to know when people are trying to destroy you and you back away from them. You're smart enough to know that when people are in need that you, and there's things you can do to help them, you do. That's the building of this temple. And God, the only, what makes it sacred, is that God lives in here. And the things that we do for God, being an encourager, praying for someone, giving a cup of cold water, those are the things that make it for eternity. And that's what our life is about. About doing things for God. And Ephesians chapter 2, verse 17 says this, Christ brought us together through his death on the cross. Okay, as we are entering this Lenten season, we are together because of Christ's death upon the cross. The cross got us to embrace, and that was the end of all hostility. Christ came and preached peace to you outsiders and to us insiders. He treats us as equals. Christ treats us all as equals. And so made us equal. Through him we both share the same spirit and have equal access to the Father. There's none of us more privileged than the other. We're all on the same plane. That's plain enough, isn't it? You're no longer wandering exiles. This kingdom of faith is now your home country. The kingdom of faith is now my home country. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here with as much right to the name Christian as anyone. God is building a home. He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here, in what he is building. He used the apostles and the prophets for the foundation. Now he's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Jesus Christ as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. See, there's so many analogies of building and structure. The cornerstone is an arch, and at the top, you know, the Keystone State, Pennsylvania is the Keystone State. It's that corner, that stone right at the top of the arch. If you pull that stone out, everything collapses. Jesus Christ is that cornerstone at the top of that arch that holds it all together. Um, we see it's taking shape day after day. We see it taking shape day after day as a holy temple built by God. All of us built into it. All of us. Part of it. A temple in which God is quite at home. 
a temple in which God feels quite at home inside us. Amen? Let's stand.